Heavenly Father, Lord, we have great reason for joy. We have had a, a morning full of, of good things, good things that lead our hearts to rejoice and to praise you for all that you've done. Lord, as we come before your word now, we ask that you would um, open our hearts, prepare our hearts, help us to listen, or not just to hear words, but that we would take your words as what they are, or the, the very hope that we have, the only hope that we have, and the very motivation we need to live a life that pleases you. Lord, help us to, to pursue you because of what we hear in your word. Lord, be with us as we look into it. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this week, uh, I've been tasked to talk about joy. And as I was given that topic, I had flashbacks to children's ministries here, and Tim Anderson telling me that joy is Jesus, others, and then what? Yeah, look, we all remember. Good job, Tim. Um, And so that sticks with us. And uh, that's been in my head a lot throughout this. The key to joy, as I was being taught, was to pursue Christ first, to serve others before serving yourself. And that, that, that's a great thing to learn. But as a child and, and as, as we grow, we often confuse our joy with happiness. We confuse it with an emotion. And we have to understand biblically that those two, while tied, are not the same. And this week was one of those weeks where if we believed joy was happiness, we would call it irony that I was preaching on it. Just so happens as life goes that you have weeks where it's just one of those where you're glad it's over, right? And, and, and so it's really amazing that God works, and He has done this every time, but He works on my heart more. As I looked into my own heart and saw that happiness and joy were too closely linked. And as I know and can tell you this and wrote all of this, but the Lord continued to just be patient with me. And to show me over and over and over again that this is where you still don't get it. This is where you still don't get it. I think part of it's because of my temperament and demeanor. I wake up with just as much energy as I have before I go to bed. It's really annoying to my family. Um, The youth group students really don't like it on retreats because I wake up like this. Um, And I'm just as happy as I am at 10.30 when I'm throwing dodgeballs at them, you know? And so I think my temperament and personality tends to be, in my own mind, I tend to disguise that as joy. I'm just a joyful person. When it really comes down to it is if once this joyful person gets a cold, my joy goes away really fast because my nose is full, not my heart with joy, and I can't sleep. And, my, you know, and, and it's really amazing how fast I realized my joy that I thought I held to was just Feelings, circumstances going right. And so this text was a, this this idea, this concept was a great work on my heart this week, and so I hope that it will be to yours as we look to the Scriptures. Joy cannot be completely tied to our emotions and our feelings, but it is partly tied. We are emotional beings and we express those And part of joy in our life was felt uniquely this morning as you saw the little boy who showed off his belly and stood in the middle of the stage. And that's unique and joyful for our family because around two and a half years ago, a doctor told us we might never get to meet him. 
And that if we did, he would probably never walk and would have serious issues his entire life that would be all-consuming. And now, my heart is full of joy because I get to see him up here singing, singing truths about God. But is it just an emotion that I feel? Or is it the, the presence and power of God that guided us through the depths of suffering that now realized in seeing my son, now the expression is joy. And so we have to see and wrestle with this unique tie. And if we're going to understand joy this Christmas season, we have to look beyond feelings and emotions. We have to look to God himself, for there is joy. Psalm 1611 says this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So it cannot be a feeling. It cannot just be an emotion because the Bible tells us in God's presence there is fullness, completeness of joy. So we're going to look into what joy is by diving into just a brief word study of what is joy, looking at the Hebrew and the Greek words, and I'm not as smart as Zach, so I'm not going to pretend to pronounce the Hebrew and act like I know um, and, and so I'd probably have too much guttural noises uh, if I were to say it, but uh, the, the Hebrew word here means joy, mirth, or gladness. So this is partly understood in our emotions, but happiness and joy, as I've been saying, have to be distinct. Happiness is something that can be taken away from us in a sudden change of circumstances. If any of you have been around children in the summertime, they get an ice cream cone, right? Joy is full. Life has never been better. Sibling bumps them, hits the deck. All sorrow fills the world and the sun will never shine again, right? We will weep and mourn, rip our clothes, ashes on our heads, right? Because it was happiness, was tied into a brief experience. So joy is deeper. In the Old Testament, it was understood as something more. It was tied to something Deeper. It's interesting that in other Hebrew words, a word for uh, similar to rejoice, is um, comes from the sound of releasing a bowstring. And so when I saw that, I was like, "Oh, beautiful! I understand that. Um, I can understand that because as you pull back, you let go. the The string rings out, and that's the word rejoice. Is it rings out in joy? And so I think that's really helpful in our understanding that there is something that precedes. The joy, which the joy is the sound that the bowstring produces, but something happens first. There is something behind it that is intentional. So the sound of ringing out with joy is the result of something else, but it signifies the validity of the action that has taken place. Joy in the Old Testament was oftentimes rooted in the feasts, which we will look in later, in the, in the ceremonies that they took place in, and so their joy was tied to God. The Greek word here, also very similar to the Hebrew word, refers to joy and gladness. Again, emotions, but if we look into the, into the word and into the New Testament, we can see that joy is almost exclusively and often tied with suffering. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you go through trials, right? When the disciples are, uh, are beaten, right? And they, they are, they're sent out and told, don't preach again. They go out, what? Rejoicing. Because they had, been counted, they had been counted worthy to suffer 
for the name of Christ. That had to freak the people out who just persecuted them. They're sending them out in there with joy. Not because of the bruises, not because of this, but because they had this Savior, Jesus Christ, and they spoke his name, and he said, if you stand by me, they're going to persecute you. And said, we stood by him. There is joy because of Jesus. See, in the, in the Christmas season, that there is joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So if you have been listening, you would see that the Old Testament, there is fullness of joy in the presence of God the Father. In the New Testament, there is joy because of Christ's arrival. And there is joy because it is the result of the Holy Spirit indwelling you. I think we get the picture that, that the Bible is trying to teach us that joy is intimately tied with the person of God. In his Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. All are sources of our joy. In the New Testament, joy is described all throughout as the joy that comes from our salvation in Christ Jesus. So we have much reason for joy. So then how are these words used in Scripture? I've talked a little bit about this already, but an author that I was reading gave two helpful kind of descriptors, the first one being this. Joy is found in a literal sense in the knowledge or experience of God. It is us as believers continual moving closer to God and growing more intimate with God in our knowledge of him that will increase our joy. Notice that is distinctly different from our world. Our world says joy will be found in compounding material experiences or material um, blessings or whatever it is, and in that there will be joy, or even in more relationships or more whatever. It is more not God that they are expecting to find joy, should it, so it shouldn't be a shocker to us that our world lacks joy. They are trying to find the very thing that they will never find because of the way they're looking for it. So we as believers then have to have a joy about us that helps them to see you're looking for it in the wrong place. Joy is not found there. It is found in God. This joy that we have satisfies our deepest longings and needs and desires. The Bible clearly teaches that we have been made to know God. So the presence and knowledge of God is where we find our true joy. We also find joy not just because God exists, but in who God is. We find great joy in knowing that our God is a just God who will not be bought. He will not be bought off. There will be no sly deals in his judgment. We know that he is a God of love, and that gives us great joy because his love is not dependent on our worthiness, but dependent on his character, which cannot change. We find great joy because our God is a God of kindness, righteousness, and mercy. As we get to know God, there is more and more joy made available to us. Another quote that this, uh, that this author wrote in, in the dictionary I was reading to understand joy said, for the biblical writers, joy is rooted in God and what he has done for people in general and his people in particular. So it's not just the presence of God and the character of God, but it is the power of God to do things on behalf of his people. But it's in our remembering of what God has done that enlivens our hearts to think about what God has done for us. And as we look back to see him, it gives us great joy because he has been faithful for thousands of years. And that we know he will be faithful to us in the future. And in there, as we look to God, we find our joy. 
We experience joy as we watch God faithfully take care of us day in and day out, and we should find great joy in telling others about how our God is faithful. It is our joy is rooted in God and His faithfulness. So as we look to kind of Frankenstein a definition here, um, I, I put this together, and, and I hopefully I get the screens right here. I'm still trying to, to work out this well, but Therefore, joy is the emotive result of a choice to rest and trust in the presence and power of God in all circumstances. So that's a mouthful. I want to break it down because I think this is where we truly understand joy, and it's all of these parts. Joy is the emotive result. It is an emotional response because it is. If you could sit up here and sit back there and watch all of these kids sing and not cry, and admitted I did, um, I don't know how you feel anything, right? That was like some of the cutest stuff you could ever see. There, there is emotion. We find great joy in the things that God has made and has given us. We find great joy in good food and great joy in family and, and great joy uh, in, in being out in God's uh, glorious creation. So there, there is emotional, but it, it cannot just stay there. It is a result of a choice. And we often want to think that we are, that we, that we don't have a choice often in life, or that we are just victims of circumstances, but, but we as people have to realize that our joy or lack thereof oftentimes is our choice. We, we choose in moments, whether we know it or not, to say God is with me or God is not with me, that he is good or he is not. And we do this by the way that, that we live. So joy is the emotional result of a choice. This choice in what, though? A choice to rest and trust in who God is. And so those two words are important, too, because resting in God is something that we're really bad at because we like control. We like our hands on the wheel and because it's more comfortable for us if I just do it, right? We're all like the little kid who, when you go to try to tie his shoes, slaps your hand and says, I do it right, and then takes 30 minutes to fail, um, and then you do it for them, right? But that's how we are with God. God says, I, I have this, this circumstance, this plan for you, and we say, no, 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 I'll, I'll do it. And we end up ruining things, right, because we're not capable of this. So we have to learn to, to rest in God, but that, that takes great humility. But, but we do it all, all the time in simple ways. When you go to bed at night, you are, in a way, you're resting, right, not just because you're sleeping, but you're saying, I have to shut it down, and God, you're running everything while I'm out. Sleep is one of our greatest reminders of our dependence. God has never slept, nor has he needed to, yet we have to shut it down all the time. Some of you might be wanting to take a nap now, uh, but we, we, we don't, we need this. God needs nothing, right? We are deeply dependent. God is completely independent. God has never once needed you or needed anything or anyone. God stands far and above and far superior than us. And so we have to be able to humble ourselves to recognize reality and say, God, you're the one who's in control. I'm not. I'm not capable. But that takes a deep humility because we don't like to admit that. And it also takes trust, which is another thing we're not very good at, because we tend to assume God is like the people that we know. And we forget two very important truths about God. He cannot change, and he cannot lie. God cannot lie. 
It is impossible for him to say, I promise you, and then at the last minute pull out the rug and say, ha ha, gotcha. It is impossible for him to change, to say, I love you and my grace is sufficient for you. And then when you get to heaven, you're like, well, it was, now it's not. He cannot change and he cannot lie. Those are two vitally important things for us to remember as it comes to trusting God. We can rest in him because we can trust in him. We can take our hands off and say, Jesus, you you run this because I I can't do it anymore. And we can do that because God is perfect and we're not. We, We have to trust him. And so if we find ourselves with little to no joy in our lives, could it be that we have refused to rest and trust in who God is? And our joy has been robbed from us because we think we are God. And we're going to control it, and we're going to do it. See, our joy cannot be wrapped up in us and our power. It has to be wrapped up in God and His. And the last part of the definition, then, is in all circumstances. In all means all. That's the hard part about the Bible. When it says all, it means it. So that means in the good, the bad, and the ugly. We will have a hard time really living out joy if we leave out the in all circumstances part. This is really important because the Bible tells us to have joy in in trials, joy in suffering. And that's the beautiful part. You can sorrow with joy. They are not mutually exclusive because it's not an emotion. It's our choice to recognize the brutality of a circumstance we're in, but yet we are going to find joy because of who God is. There is joy-filled sorrow. That's something that we we have to wrestle with and get into our our minds. In the midst of our pain and suffering, we hold on to the fact that Christ is still on his throne, that I am still a child of God, and the eternal destiny I have is secure. This pain and trial that I have is temporary, and it pales to the glory that I will receive and be a part of in heaven. That is joy. That doesn't change the emotions, it doesn't change your experiences, it doesn't change the pain of a lost loved one, but it does give it context. It does put it back into perspective that God is the one who is in control. And in that, there is joy. He's rooted in something far deeper. So then if we're to understand this and flesh this out more, then, then joy is rooted in remembering the presence and the power of God. That is where our joy should be rooted in. So I want to look at that in a couple different texts here. So starting off by looking at the presence of God in Job chapter 38. So if you will, look there in Job 38. Um, doing a little bit of sword drilling this morning, so I hope you're ready to, to flip through the, the pages quickly. We're going to look here first at the, the presence of God and, and the joy that was found here It looks like I forgot to give one to you. My bad guys out back. That's not their fault. That's mine. Job 38. Job 38 verses 1 through 7 says this. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together 
and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Notice that in creation, because God came and created and created man to dwell with him, there was joy in shouts of joy because God had made man to be in his presence. We were created to experience joy in the presence of God. So when we lack joy in our lives, it is not time to shy away from God, but time to run to God. It is time to check our hearts and see where we have fallen from Him and then to return to Him. That is, if the joy we lack is due to sin, if there is suffering and pain, we run to the God who loves us and is sovereign over the suffering and the pain because He works all things together for good. And the beautiful reality is when we run to God in the midst of our lack of joy in our pain or in our circumstances, we receive the love of a father. It's not demeaning, belittling. He does not say it is about time. He says, welcome home. What a glorious God we serve and what a joyous truth. See, that man experienced perfect joy when he dwelled in sinless perfection with God in the garden. His joy was tied to the sinless perfection in the dwelling with God. What a glorious life Adam and Eve had before the fall, to be directly in the presence of God, to walk with him, talk, to experience that. What a a glorious life they lived and what much joy they had. And so we can truly see as they leave the garden in sorrow that sin robs us of joy. The pursuit of sin or sacrificing truths that we know about God uh, to pursue sin will always rob us of joy. Sin is a brutally good liar. And it will convince you that your joy will be found in X if you just had this. Or if they would just stop that, then you could have joy. It is a brutal lie and a deceptively good one. No, you will have joy when you go to the presence of God and stare at his beauty and stare at his glory and rest in his character. There is joy. There's also joy we see in the Old Testament when the presence of the Lord filled the temple in 2 Chronicles. So if you'll turn to 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 7. I'll use a youth group joke on you that my students were probably hoping I wasn't going to say, but Second Chronicles is after First Chronicles. There you go. There's your help in finding it. Second Chronicles chapter 7 is beautiful. Solomon dedicates the, the temple as the chronicler declares this and writes this out for us. It says this. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever." And towards the end of the passage, it says this, and on the 23rd day of the seventh month, he, Solomon, sent the people away to their homes, joyful and glad of heart for the prosperity that the Lord had granted to David and to Solomon and to Israel, his people. 
When the presence of the Lord rushed upon and filled the temple, the people responded and erupted in joy. The Bible tells us that they sacrificed 142,000 animals at this event. One commentator pointed out that that means that they would be sacrificing an animal every three seconds, 10 hours a day for, or 10 hours a, 10 hours a day for 12 days straight. Now that's a party, right? I know we do a good Thanksgiving dinner here, but Baptists got nothing on that. Um, that is a party, right? They were so full of joy that they celebrated for days because God was with them. God was with them. His presence had filled the temple. But notice that the people rejoiced even when they were separated from the presence of God by the curtain. It was a different presence of God. It was there, but it was behind the temple. It's still the reminder, I'm here, but you don't come to me because I'm different. And yet, there was joy. And if their joy there outpaces ours, when we get to experience in a very different way the presence of God, we should be ashamed. The people rejoiced because God was with them. The God who was full of steadfast love and faithfulness was with them. And they knew that if they could bring their sacrifices and they would be cleansed there and, and, and they had joy because their God who was them and made the nation of Israel special was there and that caused them to leave their celebration with deep joy. But as we look at this Christmas season, we cannot miss how throughout the scriptures as we see in creation and then in, in God filling the temple, how then joy was experienced because of Emmanuel. God with us. The presence with us. In Luke 2, because you got to go there around Christmas time, right? If we got to be there, no one else has been there yet if I remember correctly. So uh, we're, we're going to go there. Luke 2 says this. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. And notice of great joy. Not just joy, unique here, great joy. That will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. There is great joy now. It is a different joy because the presence of God is now with man in a new way. In the midst of the darkness of night now shines a bright light that announcing that the Messiah has come. It is no longer a foreshadowing or a prophecy. He is here. God did fulfill his promise and he did send his son to take on flesh. The Messiah was here to crush the head of the serpent and to make a way for the people of God to be back into the presence of God. And this is tidings of great joy. This is the only joy. This joy of the gospel that Jesus came to rescue us for our sins. But notice now, Emmanuel, God with us, the presence was no longer behind the curtain, but was with man. God with man. All the way from Genesis chapter 3, when God promised a Savior would come, now one has come. The Messiah is here. No more shadows, no more types, no more hints. It's him. There's no greater cause for this. The Word became flesh 
and dwelt among us. The word tabernacled. What a clear illustration to the people that God's presence was with them. That he came to tabernacle with them. So there's joy in the presence of God, but there's also joy in the power of God. In the power of God to deliver his people from slavery and death. And so often when we want to help someone who is suffering through a trial, we want to bring joy, but we feel incapable because we have words, but we can't do anything about it, right? We just want to take them to the next step, but we can't. And that's because while we may be able to have, uh, bring our presence to help people, we have not the power to do anything about it. So we, we recognize and take great joy in God's presence, but his power is what makes both so deeply beautiful because not only is he with us, but he can do something about our deepest problems. And not only can he, he will because he loves us, because he is glorious and great. And so it is the presence of God that brings us joy, but it is also the power of God that brings us joy. And again, to to look into the Old Testament where they would celebrate with these feasts, and these feasts and celebrations were given to remember the mighty works that God had done. And sadly, much like the early church could miss communion and turn it into an opportunity for drinking and overeating, the people could take these opportunities of feasts and make them about the feasts. But God says, I'm not going to give you a feast for the sake of eating. I'm going to cause you to remember how amazing I am and to help you understand it. I'm going to give you great food and beverage in times that you can see the joy and experience the joy of remembering who I am and what I have done. These events were meant to symbolize the great joy that they should have in God. The joy that came from the good food and the good celebration was just a small fraction of the true joy that comes from the God who acted on their behalf. These were things that were clearly meant for Jewish parents to teach their children about who God is and what he has done. And while we are not people, Jewish people, and I'm not saying this because I want more potlucks at church, though I do like them, this is something that we parents can learn from. To have these celebrations in these moments where we highlight who God is and what he has done and we have great joy in celebration so our kids put joy and the coming of Jesus together. That they put joy and my sins have been taken away together. This is what we are to do and this is what God did as he gave these Israelite people the feasts and celebrations in Leviticus 23. But I want to just look at a couple of these. Uh, And first, looking at a a particular situation in in Ezra where, where they celebrated the feasts of unleavened bread and they celebrated the Passover. And it says this, and they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Notice that this joy that they receive comes from God and it is because of what God has done of delivering them but also because what? They were able to build back the, t- the, the presence of God, the tabernacle. He aided them in this. His presence and power both brought in here and that's where the joy of the people came from. So this feast was to celebrate And it was a joyful situation there, but it was also to celebrate back to the Exodus when they were to have run with haste to have the unleavened unleavened bread, not because it tasted good or just because, but because they were supposed to remember the haste in which they had to leave because God was coming. 
He was gonna come and deliver his people. And they celebrated the Passover as they remembered the God who passed over their houses because of the blood of the lamb that was painted on their doorposts. And they were to remember the power of God to deliver them from a foe they could never have defeated on their own. And if you cannot hear Jesus in that story, your ears are not open. That God, because of the blood of the lamb, would not bring judgment upon us and that he could save us from a power that was greater than our own ability to defeat. That Jesus came and died and delivered us from sin. And so while we look here in this particular situation that they celebrated the joy of the Exodus and the joy of the Passover, we get to look in a greater joy because we know the greatest form of these things. We know Jesus. So our joy should be magnified because of who Christ is and what he has done. They also gave the, the Feast of Purim at the end of the story of Esther. And here the, the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews so, or for fear of the Jews had fallen upon them. The story of Esther tells us of, of God's mighty power, though not named, to work to protect his people through Esther and through Mordecai to thwart the evil plot of Haman. And he gave them this great feast to celebrate. Remember, I can deliver you from certain destruction. It is I. I have the power to stop kings. A king thinks he's going to do that. Not, no. Stopped. I can do that. And they are to remember the power of God that was greater than the power of this king, greater than the schemes of all man, and there was a delight because of the power of God. This is also seen uh, in, in, the, uh, in the Day of Atonement here. In Leviticus 23, verses 26 to 32, which we don't have the chance to go to fully, but I, I, I implore you to go read it. Um, Leviticus has so much of Jesus in it, so don't, don't leave that out of your yearly Bible reading. Um, the feast, uh, the, the celebration that they had on the Day of Atonement was the highest day of the Jewish calendar, was to be celebrated with great joy. They were to have great joy because they saw the high priest go behind the curtain and come back saying that their sins had been forgiven, and blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. The joy of the people was not just because of what they saw, but because of the truths of God and the power of God to deliver them from their sin. And again, we see this most truly and most glorious and most beautifully in Jesus on the cross. God's power to save his people, where we take our joy, is Jesus on the cross. Because Jesus' death on the cross gives us this great joy because through Christ we are reconciled back to God. We can go into the presence of God. We can take great joy in the power of God because we get to see it and to see the proof of it in our reconciliation. Every morning you wake up after you've put your faith in Christ, you have a reason for great joy because you were an enemy of God, but now because of Christ, you eat at his table. And one day you will sit in his presence forever, never to experience sin, pain, sorrow, or sadness again. That gives us joy in the hardest and worst of circumstances because it is all temporary. Because of Jesus, 
because of this reconciliation that he worked. And it is so great because we had no business. We could have never gone to the table to bargain with God. What would we have to give? Your best work is a filthy rag. And what is that to the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords? But yet Jesus says, I will go. And I will put my blood. And I will give of my life for you. Joy should be found in that. And the beautiful thing is no circumstances can change what Jesus has done for you. That is separate from all man's attempts. That is why the song and in Christ alone, the lyric, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. That is why that song and that line evoke such great emotion and joy in our heart because we know that nothing is more powerful than God and nothing can take me from the presence of God. There's my joy. It's not found in a circumstance, it's found there. That is where we experience fullness of joy, as the psalmist reminded us in the beginning. In Romans 5, it tells us that because of this great reconciliation, we have obtained access. If that does not just sound of Old Testament presence of God, we have been obtained access to God, presence we have been given. Jesus' death on the cross unites us to him. And in our union with Christ, there is fullness of joy. John 15, 10, and 11 says this, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The joy of the Lord is our strength, and we have been united with Christ in a death like his, a burial like his, and a resurrection like his. So in our beautiful and mysterious union with Christ, we have an infinite well of joy. We no longer have to stand before the Almighty God in our own righteousness. But because of the work of Christ, we stand before God in Christ's righteous robes. There we have joy in our union. We have joy in our union with Christ because now we have a great high priest who makes perfect intercession for us in heaven. In our union with Christ, we now actually, as Jesus said, have the power to obey God and experience that obedience brings joy. Something simple we teach our kids, but how much do we miss it? Obedience brings joy. Jesus' death on a cross makes a way for us to have direct access to the presence of God where we have joy. The beautiful text out of Hebrews chapter 6 uh, that says this, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus' death on a cross makes us able to go directly, to the, to, directly into the presence of God behind the curtain. Notice this anchor does not go to the bottom of the sea, but it goes up to heaven directly into the throne room of God. And because of Christ, we now can with boldness go before the Lord and pray. And we can go with boldness before the Lord and be welcomed as a son or a daughter. That is joy. That is joy that cannot be taken because no one can outdo the work of Christ. No one can take away the, the work that Christ has done. The temple, the, the, the curtain that remained between the people and God in Second Chronicles has been ripped in half because of Christ. 
Now the curtain that had the angels with the flaming swords that said, because of your sin, you're not welcome here. That curtain has been torn in two, and Jesus says, in my name and because of my blood, you can come here. That's joy. There is great joy because of Christ. And when we, in the middle of our chaotic and deeply painful circumstances, wonder, where can I go? Jesus says, directly to the throne room of God. And there you can experience the fullness of joy. As we close, remember our definition, we have to choose to see this. We choose joy because the Almighty God loved us enough to condescend to us. And this holiday season, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how much pain there is because a loved one isn't there or because of fractures in the family, we can choose joy because the almighty God of the universe loved us enough to send Christ. No matter what else comes, nothing can change that. He can give us joy, not happiness, but true joy. And it may be sorrowful, but it will be joy-filled sorrow. And he does this by showing to us his presence and his power in Christ. And we choose joy in the Lord always. As the Bible says it, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Why can we do this? Because he never changes. God never changes. He will never not be the perfect God of the scriptures. He will never not be faithful. He will always be exactly who he says he is. And in the middle of our crazy personalities and in our choices where we change our minds and we, are, we lie often. We go to this steady God who cannot change. We choose joy in these little things, not because of the little things themselves, but because we, love a God, we have a God who loves us enough to bless us in little things. We choose joy by staring at the truths of the gospel instead of our changing circumstances and the lies of the enemy. We get to echo the words of the Christmas song that we sang. That our joy is rooted because he comes to make his blessings know far as the curse is found. It took me a long time to realize what that meant. Too long, probably. In Christmas songs, we sing them and we forget of the deep theology that is found within them. Our joy has come and is here because Christ came to make his blessings known as far as the curse is found. As far as the curse of sin is found, his joy, his grace superabounds. So the sin that has hurt our lives and has wrecked our worlds, the joy that God brings in sending his son is going to go to that as far as the curse is found. We have a great God who gives us great reason for joy he gave it all to us this Christmas season in the sending of his son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great and glorious God you are. Lord, I pray that where my words have fallen, that you would take this, you would use the spirit that resides in my brothers and sisters in Christ in this room. Help them to understand. Help them to see the truths of God. And Lord, I pray that we would choose joy 
in all of the circumstances of life, Lord, it is so difficult in the midst of pain to think about the glories of the gospel. But Lord, help us. Help us to run to those truths. Help us to run to those passages that remind us of the glory and the greatness and the power of your Son and of you. Help us to never forget that it is in the presence of you that there is joy. Help us not in midst of pain and sorrow to run from you, but to run to you. God, we need you to do a mighty work in our hearts this season, for we are so beset by sin. We are so quick to believe the lies of the enemy. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to trust in you again. Help us to rest in you. And in that, Lord, we trust that you will give us the joy that you have promised us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.